are so grateful for Jim, for our entire worship team, and uh, we thank God. We thank God. Church is all about connecting with Jesus, and we are growing together in our faith. We are in a series right now, The Joy of Serving, because there is great joy in serving. And during this series, maybe you thought, hey, I should get involved. So we've done something different. This week and next week, in the middle of the lobby, you really can't miss it. It's literally in the middle of the lobby, a place where you can come and not just fill out a card, but talk to some people, ask some questions, and help discover your gifts and how you can serve at Grace, how you can get connected at Grace right out there in the lobby today. And I also want to say, you know, 20 years since September 11th, 20 years. And I don't know what that's been like for you this weekend, but uh, for me, I've just grown in gratitude for our nation and uh, just a love for all people in our nation and a desire for just continued healing and restoration and seeking Jesus in our nation as well. And uh, we have so much to thank God for uh, that God has provided and been so patient and kind to our country and protected us in so many ways. Uh, today we are in Titus chapter 2. If you brought a Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. And we're going to focus on multi-generational relationships in Titus chapter 2. And we're looking at serving from many different angles. And serving is also very relational. And multi-generational, that's God's design from the beginning of the church. We're going to dive into this together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your provision. God, you've never failed one of your promises. God, your presence, you're always with us. And Father, your goodness cannot be denied. Lord, we can trust your leadership, and we do. And God, we thank you for each person here today on campus and online, each person's story, and Lord, how your grace makes all the difference. And we pray together in Jesus' name, amen. amen. The health of a church is seen in the health of the multi-generational relationships. This was very evident on the island of Crete. Paul is writing to Titus, and there are many different ethnicities there. And I would also say the health of the church is seen in the health of the relationships between people of many ethnicities. The focus in Titus chapter 2 is the health of the church. It's directly linked to the health of the relationships multi-generationally. And the question is, are they flourishing or are they flailing? multi-generational relationships. Do you ever kind of stop and wonder as you think about the church in America, why we have so many challenges? So often in the Bible, it just seems to roll and there's great unity. And then situations and families and churches in America, sometimes there's tension and weirdness and it's just awkward and misunderstandings. And so we look at this passage today and realistically, I just want to say from the start, multi-generational relationships will be off if one generation thinks they're better or more important than another generation. Also, if they can't see past their own preferences. Every generation has preferences, but can you see past those? What about if you forget the we and start to shift and focus on the me? That's going to be unhealthy in a church. If we get selfish, that's not good. If there's one generation that doesn't have a voice, that's not healthy. If there's isolation... In neglect with one generation that's not healthy if we don't listen and try to understand each other get into each other's shoes if we have hostility unforgiveness slander we can get stuck and so what are the solutions what's needed Paul is writing to Titus with some solutions and we want to pay attention to these three that really stand out from the text here's the first one the older ones 
And we're not going to get anything numerical here, all right? Who's in the older? Who's in the younger? You do the math. You do the median ages. You come up with your own conclusions. It's general in this passage. We're going to keep it general. The older ones live in a way that is worthy of respect. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Right away, there's an emphatic word. Paul says to Titus, you, you. In other words, let's get active here. You have a role. Own this. You're going to be a bridge between the different generations. You might need to be countercultural. You have a calling in this. So you draw close to God. It's emphatic. He's calling out Titus. What are the specifics? First, with the older men, and here's the summary faith, hope, and love. For the older men, faith, hope, and love. This healthy faith, not a public faith that's missing in private, not hypocrisy, not a double life but a faith where you know what you believe and you know why you believe it. A faith that's a clear priority in your life and the foundation of your life. And then a love, not self-centered, not distant, not grumpy. We don't need grumpy. Grumpy doesn't help anything. But a warmth, older men, a warmth, a safety, a kindness, a compassion. May that be evident. And then also hope or endurance, a patient endurance. Endurance and hope are connected in those words. It's not easy to grow older. There's challenges. A friend who's much older than me, I've heard him say so many times, getting old is not for wimps. And he would say, just trying to keep my body in shape, just trying to keep my mind sharp, all right? Getting old, it's not for wimps, is what he would say. But don't quit on that journey. Don't coast on that journey. Don't check out on that journey. Don't retire from the relationships that are so essential. And a faith, hope, and love. What about the older women? There's an emphasis here on being reverent. Not, well, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. Not that, but reverent. How does God want this done? In my thoughts or my attitudes, my words, it says not a slanderer, not someone who gossips, but someone instead who's going to build up not mean and harsh with words, but encouraging with words. Also not drunk, not running to pleasures to numb every kind of pain. When life gets challenging, am I going to run to God or just run to a pleasure to, to numb the pain? Uh, self-control. And then the women teach what is good. Again, those words that you pass on to the next generation. You build up people with your words. There's wisdom that just flows from your words. Gratitude flows from your mouth and it's a lifestyle where you set the example all of this is foundational it's going to move us towards the connection between the generations but those relationships don't just kind of happen like out of nowhere no there's a foundation that brings the generations together and the foundation ties into really knowing what matters most what does matter most in life in this passage there's an emphasis on relationships and character relationships and character that matters steve jobs who of course is well known billionaire 
died at age 56, pancreatic cancer. This is what he said at the end of his life. He says, I've reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In other people's eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. Do you hear that? Aside from my work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, the end of his life, all he hadn't experienced. I'm just thinking about everything here on my sickbed. Knowing that his days, it's near the end, I realized that all of the recognition and all of the wealth I took so much pride in had paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. All that wealth feels meaningless. If you haven't read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, you're going to pick up on the same theme. And the heart of what he says next is to love the people around you. Love your family. I think of love the generations. He says it doesn't matter if you have a $300 watch or a $30 watch. They both tell the same time. It doesn't matter if your wallet costs $300 or $30. It doesn't matter if your car costs $150,000 or $30,000. They both get you to the same place. It doesn't matter if your home is 300 square feet or 3,000 square feet. If you experience loneliness, it feels the same. And $300 bottle of wine or a $30 bottle of wine, he said the hangover is exactly the same. <laughs> Just being real right there. I'll tell you, more important in life is not the amount of years you lived or your experiences and your resumes. No, what really matters in life is this loving relationship with God, this loving relationship with the generations, right? And also um, uh, living this life out with solid character. That's what it's about. I'm so grateful, you know, we had a men's breakfast at Grace, and I'm so grateful for all the mentoring that happens here at Grace. You could see the relationships. Uh, there's so many mentoring relationships here at Grace that's not part of an official program, because it doesn't always have to be part of an official program, right? I mean, we're adults. We find each other. We encourage each other. We build each other up. Uh, Grace McCammon just went to be with Jesus this week, and she was our most uh, seasoned member of Grace Community Church, 102 years old. Grace just went to be with Jesus. I think of her sweet daughter, Virginia Gannon, who has been so instrumental at Grace. I think of prayer, uh, the community medical clinic here, Senegal. There's just a lot of stories in the family. When someone follows Jesus, like Grace did, for her entire life, when someone's following Jesus sincerely, when you live it out, the future generations are influenced in amazing ways. Far beyond what you can initially tell. I'm so grateful that at our church, I'm so thankful for so many who, let's say, are in the older half of the congregation, but are living it out for the Lord. And I'll tell you what you're providing are pictures for the younger generations of, oh, when you hit this health situation, cancer here, when you retire, this is what following Jesus looks like. When you're physically not able to leave your house, but you're in prayer for so many people, man, that's inspiring. And that picture, we need it. They needed it in Crete. We need it today. Living in a way that's worthy of respect. Then the younger ones. The younger ones live with a humble teachability. A humble teachability. Chapter 2, starting in verse 5. 
and we see here that, um, uh, there we go, turn the page. Uh, similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And uh, you see the life that he's calling these younger ones to live. For the younger women, the emphasis is purity, kindness, diligence. And there's really harmony at home. In that culture, uh, the women would spend, of course, so much time at home in that culture. And how are you bringing harmony in the family and harmony at home? Younger men, you're going to be countercultural. You're going to have to live with integrity. There's temptations everywhere at Crete. And it's gonna, there's going to be opposition to your faith. Also, young men, be nurturing. The perception of a father then uh, was someone who was very functional. You work, you come home, you pay the bills. The Bible's call on a dad is far more than just functional. It's nurturing. It's investing. It's entering in. It's spiritual leadership as well. It's a full picture. And so there's a picture there for the young men and women serving together, serving each other, bringing out the best in each other. You know, you don't have to be older to have a lot of influence. I, I was able to speak with uh, the Dartmouth men's college soccer team because that's where I played a long time ago. They're in town to play the Huskies. So I was able to talk to the team and the coaches. And what I was trying to say to encourage them is you don't have to be a captain. You don't have to be a senior to have incredible influence on this team. The way you practice, the way you play, you don't even have to get a lot of playing time. Your character, like who you are and what you bring, you don't need an official role. You don't need to be older on the team. You can influence and change the culture on this team. And the Bible says this. Paul's writing here to Titus. He also writes to Timothy. He says to Timothy, don't, look, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're younger. Well, what does that tell us? Sometimes there's going to be older people who think, ah, this young generation, they don't know anything. They haven't seen anything. I'm not so sure they're gifted. You know, they're kind of flaky. You know, they're, they're going to get that vibe a lot, okay? So just push that aside because that's junk. That's not coming from God. And instead... Live a life, set the example, speech, love, life, faith, and purity. You live with a fire for the Lord. You know how God often brings revival? It's the younger generation with a fire for the Lord. Because sometimes if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and, and now I kind of have, sometimes you can get a little complacent. You can just kind of go through routines. You can say, I think I've seen it all. I think I know what God's going to do next. I think I got it all figured out. I think I got it exactly what I wanted. I think I'm just going to chill. And the world's not going to be changed with a bunch of people who just chill. So sometimes God will use the fire of a younger generation and then the wisdom of the older generation. Because with the fire, they can get off track and then go off, off the road. And what are you thinking there? And you didn't think about that. And that's where the older generation comes in and says, actually, I have that headache. I have those scars. Let me tell you. Let me, because the relationships there and the trust and then the learning from each other, inspiring each other. That's God's design. And I'll tell you, we've got a lot of ones who are on fire who are not young here, too. So I'm grateful. It's both ways. I'm just trying to talk general. And uh, I'm sure I've stepped on a lot of toes already, but hopefully no broken toes today. Uh, and, and what we see for the younger generation, honor your parents. Honor your employer. Honor the leaders. Honor. Honor. So, well, I don't like my job exactly right. Honor. I think I'm only going to be here for two months. Honor. There's something they don't do. You know, my, my employer did this one time. Honor. Honor your parents. Well, if you knew my parents, yes, forgive them, 
There might be a long healing process. Pray for them, but still honor, still be humble. And that's the call together. Uh, when, when you um, hear Jim's story, you just see what God's doing in the younger generation. You see the beauty of someone who has a skill playing piano and then comes to know Jesus and how that skill comes alive because now you get to use that skill for the Lord. We want younger generations to discover their skills and abilities, to spread their wings, and then live for the Lord with all God's invested, that there's no limits to what God might do. Uh, It was amazing some of the, the baptism testimonies of the Grace Kids recently. I'm so encouraged by the middle school and high school stories right now and the faith that is growing and deepening in that age group in our church. And I think of the young adults. Uh, There was Team World Vision, which we've done now for several years, partnership with World Vision and running or walking a half marathon. And this year with COVID, so many challenges. So it looked so different and it looked a little smaller as well. But uh, Joanna Donaldson, one of the young adults, stepped up and there were $32,000 raised for clean water. That's 640 children. It was just one of our young adults who saw the need, saw the challenges, and took the initiative. 641 children now have clean water for life. And this partnership and what God's doing across the world, by 2030, everyone could have clean water. Isn't that amazing? But we need that passion to say, let's do the half marathon. Let's continue. Even during COVID, let's let's keep going. And you get a picture, again, of the younger ones, the older ones, the foundation that's been laid, and now the exciting part is the collaboration. Collaboration happens when both generations, they inspire with their example, and they inform with their message. We need information, and we need inspiration. We are all wired that way. We want to love God with all of our mind. We want to love God with our heart. It's caught, and it's taught. And we need both. If you have a passion for the teaching side and the information side and the doctrine side, you really want to make sure that you're strong in the love, strong in the relationships, strong in the living it out in the application. And and if you have a lot of compassion and heart and you're building great relationships, you want to make sure that you're solid in the faith and solid in the doctrine and solid in the word because the two go together. We worship God in spirit and in truth, and we want to have a fullness, and all this comes from Jesus. That's who he is and how he lived. Well, what's the example from Titus here? In chapter one or chapter 2, verse 5, uh, then the older women can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, busy at home, to be kind, subject, submission to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, here what we see with collaboration is on the ladies' side. The older ladies, the younger ladies, and a collaboration. Uh, that's the focus that Titus brings. Now, John writes to the generations, and this is in 1 John chapter 2, and he's going to focus on the guys' side of things. And he says in verse 12, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Uh, the younger ones... They need to have an assurance of salvation, that sins are forgiven, the gospel, that it wasn't earned. We don't earn our salvation. We don't keep it. It's not through religion and performance, but by God's grace, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. 
And you can rest in that. And that's for now and for eternity. And you can find an identity in the Lord. You don't have to try to find it and keep it up with this or wearing that or performing enough here. You have an identity in the Lord that's secure. That was a word for the younger ones. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. In other words, fathers, you have a heavenly father. I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. You see the building up of the young men, the young women, the older women, the older men, God's heart, John's writing, Paul's writing, a vision of a healthy church, multi-generational. We truly uh, need this. We need this. And then uh, on this part, I want to focus where the emphasis is in the passage and an onus that's really on the older ones. And it's coming along in terms of passing along, training is the word here, urging, passing along what God's given to you to the younger generations. Passing it along. Because that's the emphasis right here in Titus. And uh, what we see is almost like a baton, a spiritual baton. And at this point, uh, I brought a video that we can watch. And to set this up, it's going to be the 4 by 100. So we're going to sports. And of course, in the Bible, there's an analogy with sports and running a race. You run your race for the Lord. Throw off the sin. <laughs> don't, don't let anyone, you know, uh, pull you away from Christ. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You run the race, countercultural, run for the Lord. And we're going to see a team running, not just one, but a team. Allison Felix is going to speak. She's been an outstanding runner in America for a long time. She loves Jesus, loves the Lord. So we're going to hear from her. Let's take a look at this and uh, Olympic setting Olympic here. Stadium. We're back at Olympic Stadium with the 4 by 100 relays for women. And Allison Felix stepping off her marks and putting her tape down. She'll be running the second leg for the U.S., so in the four by one in the heats, you know, typically uneventful, just want to get the baton around, you know, um, without any incident. And um, that was far from what happened. As they're set on their way and Barnaletta running the first leg for the U.S. She'll hand off to Allison Felix. And she's already making up the stagger to her outside. The pass successful to Allison Felix and down the back stretch they go. So Felix. Now to English Gardner. And they've dropped the stick. They dropped it. The United States is out. I just remember, you know, getting the baton and, um, you know, running in and having a, a smooth leg. And when it went uh, time to hand off, um, feeling contact from the runner um, outside of me. And just kind of being thrown off by that, it was just kind of my worst nightmare realized. I mean, I remember the baton leaving my hand and not connecting with her and kind of just being like, not knowing what to think. Get the picture and think of the sound of that baton hitting the track. Four runners, from the second to the third runner, the baton drops. I want you to think about Grace Community Church. Let's say four generations, 102 years old. The baton, the spiritual baton, that's handed off. The encouragement, the training from one generation to the next, one to the next, one to the next. One team 
collaboration. Now, there's a few ways the baton can drop. One way it can drop is if you just don't know how to, like your method is just off or sloppy. You know, you're just not sure how to do that, a baton can drop. It can also drop if you get distracted. Like if you're going to hand it off and then you're just kind of distracted somewhere in life, not focused, you don't really hand off the baton. Or it can happen where, as in this case, there was another opposing runner in her lane that bumped her and then that resulted in the baton dropping. Do you know we have an opponent as well, a spiritual opponent? <laughs> there are demons, there's darkness, there's evil, and sometimes they want to take us out so the baton will drop. So the next generation won't be really running with Jesus and what God has given to us. We haven't really handed it off because an enemy has come in. But this isn't the end of the story. Now, they're going to review the film. They're going to see the collision. It was in Allison's lane. And because of that, they're going to extend an opportunity to run. Here's the challenges that came, though. They set a time, 42 seconds, 42.7 seconds, and there was no one else on the track, and the Americans were asked to come back and see if they could beat that third-place time. So they had to run as if it was, you know, the full race with no one else on the track, and they beat that time by less than a second. So they qualified then for the race. But here's another challenge. They were put in lane one, which is not the ideal lane in a four by 100. And in addition to that, one of the four runners on the race day forgot her shoes, <laughs> lost her shoes. Allison Felix said, this is so good, I always bring another pair of shoes because you never know what's going to happen. It wasn't the exact size, but it was close enough. So all of these challenges, and don't we have a lot of challenges? Well, I don't know if I could really build up the next generation because I've got this and I lost my shoes and it's not the right lane and this is happening and I don't know if we can. Let's see how the race ended here. And here is the U.S. with the lead. We were able to go out there and have clean exchanges and get it done. Tori Bowie has a big lead. Here they come for the finish. It's going to be the U.S. to make a second. And with the second fastest time ever run, the United States from lane one get the job done and retain their Olympic crown. From lane one, the second fastest time ever. How did they respond to the adversity? Collaboration. They said, we got focused, we got united. Let me tell you, as you look at the statistics right now, the handoff of the baton to the youngest generation spiritually in our nation, there's a baton that's kind of hit the ground a little bit. But I'll tell you, not with guilt and shame, but I'll tell you this, you know, part of that work's the enemy, uh, but not with guilt and shame, the story's not over. And there's a chance right now to run for the Lord. There is a window right now because the story's not over. And how are we going to respond to all of this? How are we going to respond to what's going on in our nation? It's going to be a collaboration. We're going to need all four generations. And spiritually, we need to hand off the baton extremely well. It could be biological children. It could be that you're serving in grace kids or student ministries or young adults. I don't know how God's going to lead you. That's about listening to the Lord. But dialed in, focused, and united. That's what Allison Felix said. We want to be spiritually dialed in, focused, and united. I was talking to someone 
just yesterday, and they said, you know, I was already drifting from the Lord, and then during COVID, that was just kind of like an acceleration, and I just really, my faith has just been on the shelf, nothing, and I said, come back to church, I said, come back, like, there's gonna be open arms, just come back, take that first step. There's others right now who are seeing the situation and more fired up than ever to live for Jesus. And we're seeing all this play out. What was happening back then? Train. You say, well, what kind of training? Like, what do you teach? You can bring someone alongside you. You can buy them a study Bible. You can help them learn how to pray. You can help them learn how to study the Bible. You can help them learn how to worship, how to share their story, how to share the gospel. You do it one-on-one. You just have someone come alongside you, say, let's get coffee, come over to my house, let's talk, let's build relationships. You can do some of that training. You can talk about finances. There's so many people in debt. Well, how how do you kind of manage your finances? Maybe you've learned some things from FPU. Maybe you can share that with someone else. Well, what about the home? Like, how do you have a good marriage? If you have a good marriage, you can help someone. You can, as a couple or individually, say, hey, come over here. Let's talk about marriage together. You can talk about that, right? You can say, well, how do you have the home be like a healthy place with harmony? Well, let's talk about that. We've got some marriage inventors, investors, but, you know, we've got um, just so many people at Grace, praise God, with so much incredible experience. You know, how, how do you live overseas? Well, well let, let, me, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you. I'm thinking about being a missionary. Let, let me tell you about that one. You know, how do you be an educator? Oh, well, we have several educators who have been living for Jesus in that setting for a long time. Let's get together on that. Let's talk about that. You see, when that happens, the second fastest time ever. That was a response. I want to read from Psalm 145, and it says in verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate with abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Do you get God's design there? One generation living, celebrating, telling, connecting, collaborating. That's the design throughout Scripture. And you see it in so many examples Uh, Ruth and Naomi, they lost their husbands, multi-generational, they stuck together. Nothing was going to separate them. Paul with Timothy and Titus. Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai and Esther, she was an orphan. He took care of her and the family. And then Esther, God used her to save and rescue and deliver the people from this death threat. There's so many examples in scripture. And uh, as you uh, really take this in today, multi-generational relationships Here's three things to think about. First, do you know what God says about them? And I'd say, like, I think there's a pretty good grasp of that right here. Do you have the ability to have healthy, multi-generational relationships at grace? I think you do have the ability. I think God has empowered you. God has provided a multi-generational church for us. Amazing. And then here's the last one. Do you have the desire? Do you have the desire? So we know what this is and looks like. We have the abilities. Do we have the desire? And that's, again, where we seek the Lord. I'm going to close with, uh, this one moved me. And I'm not going to read the whole report and conversation, but I want us to go back 20 years, Todd Beamer and the others on the plane. And I think this directly relates to, when we're thinking about our country, generations, and how we're going to live. And uh, you can check out the entire Uh, exchange, but I want to read to you some of this because it's such a powerful moment. Hello, operator, listen to me. I can't speak very loud. 
We have a situation here. Our plane has been hijacked. My name is Todd Beamer. And I think of just like a beam of light in that plane. You know, in the darkest places, you can shine the light of Jesus, a ray of light. He says, here's a situation. We have one in the back who has a bomb tied to him in his waist. We have two in the cockpit. All of them have razor knives. And then his prayer in the conversation, oh, Jesus, help. Oh, God, help us. And then the operator says, I have to tell you the truth. Her name's Lisa, same name as his wife. Lisa says, I have to tell you the truth. Two planes have crashed into the World Trade Center, one into the Pentagon, and your plane looks like it's part of that plan. And Todd says, oh, dear God, dear God. And then he says, Lisa, the operator, you have the same name as my wife. Promise me you'll make this call. I've been married for 10 years. My wife is pregnant with a third. Tell her I love her. I'll always love her. We have two boys. David, he's three. Andrew, he's one. Tell them. Tell them that their daddy loves them and is so proud of them. And our third baby is due January 12th. I saw the ultrasound. And Lisa says, I promise you, Todd. Then the FBI agent, Goodwin, was contacted and he joined the conversation. He said, Todd, the plane is 20 minutes away from the Capitol. It appears that you're very close and you're headed to wipe out the Capitol. And Todd said at that point, we have decided, in talking with some of those on the plane, we have decided we would not be pawns in the hijacker's suicidal plot. We have a plan. Four of us are going to rush the hijacker in the back who has the bomb on his waist. And also, uh, there's one of the flight attendants who's prepared boiling water that we can use as well. And then he says this, will you pray with me now? Imagine being in that situation. You're told all those realities. What would your reaction be? And he says, will you pray with me now? Only 20 minutes you've gotten to you on your way to hit the Capitol. And this was his prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us not religion this is relationship and lead us not into temptation um, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen he said the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And in this prayer, yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And he concluded, God help me. Jesus help me. That was his prayer. He turned to the others on the plane and he said, are you guys ready? Let's roll. And I think you know the end of the story. Uh, what a moment when he's thinking about the two children that were born, the one on the way. He's thinking of future generations. He's thinking through the options and the realities. It's not the situation he wanted. He can't control everything, but there's something he can do. I was just at the Capitol, you know, and I think of Todd, and I think of this sacrifice that was made. I think of the love he had for 
future generations. And there was something that he could do. I want to give you a message where you feel empowered today. That there's something you can do. We need kind of a let's roll from the body of Christ. It is too easy to be passive. It is too easy to watch a baton drop. It is too easy to just think, well, maybe someone else. Emphatic you. What is God calling you to do? To build a bridge, to build up the body. And think through that question. How will you serve the generations here at Grace? How will you serve someone who's 30 years older than you? How will you serve someone who's 30 years younger here at Grace? And what a difference will that make in the sound? in Auburn. And don't we need this in every church in our land, that we might come alive and let's lock arms in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need generations in competition. We say, my way, my way, my way, my way. Where does that get us? We don't need generations in isolation. Ah, they're older. They're not that important. Ah, they're younger. They don't know anything. Right? We need collaboration. This is God's heart. This is God's heart. Uh, we have a, right here an opportunity. We try to make this um, as easy as possible for you. At the end of a message now, you can text your response. If you want to put your trust in Jesus, hit follow for the first time. You want to get baptized, membership, get in a life group and get connected or serve. Really simple. You just text those words in our team. We'll follow with you. We'll take the next steps together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for examples like the people, many um, that were in the plane, that uh, took a moment, saw the importance of the moment, and stepped up, full of prayer, full of faith. God, I pray we would say a prayer, kind of like Todd prayed in that plane. We would say a prayer today, God, and we would seek you in the face of challenges. We would trust you. We would take action. God, we see your heart for the generations to come together. We see the splintering that's the reality. God, we pray that you'd move in our hearts, God, that we wouldn't just know these facts and have abilities to make a difference, but we would desire to make a difference. We would surrender and trust you, and by the power and love of the Holy Spirit, God, give us fresh vision, give us new relationships, new love, new connection, and we pray that you'd do this in all the churches across the sound for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.